it's an interesting thing if you've traveled much or especially if you've lived abroad to notice uh, cultural differences. And uh, it's interesting because there are assumptions in cultures. And if you live in one, you don't even necessarily know what those assumptions are. But having lived in Brazil, we saw some numerous, too many to, to, to go through today. But I mean, there's stuff like, you know, you don't wash your hands in the kitchen sink. You wash your hands in the bathroom sink. If you start washing your hands in the kitchen sink, uh, someone's probably going to get on you. It's just a thing. I mean, there's no particular explanation for it. It's just culturally, that's what you do. If you're visiting somebody's house in Brazil, you don't leave until you get to drink cafezinho with them. That is your signal that the visit is coming to an end. If you leave before the cafezinho, that's rude. In fact, on your way out the door, if you as the visitor try to open the door yourself, that's very rude. There's not, I mean, there's not necessarily reasons for all this stuff. It's just built in. There are cultural assumptions. Now, if you're in that particular culture, you don't see all of those. You just accept them. And as we're working through uh, the book of Colossians, Paul is kind of leading us through assumptions that people make about reality, that this is the way things are, that a world driven by self-centeredness, that a world corrupted by sin that infects relationships, that's just the way it is. That's the way it always will be. And Paul comes along and says, hang on a second. The gospel calls into question a number of those assumptions, particularly the assumption that this is the way the world must be. In fact, I would like for you to write this down right off the top on your outline. Here goes. The gospel reminds us, no, the world doesn't have to be this way. In Jesus, we get a view, not of another culture. I mean, you could call it that, but really what's called in the Bible, the kingdom Okay? We've got the kingdom of this world where there's a set of principles and assumptions at work. Well, there is a kingdom of heaven that is being revealed to us in Christ. More than that, we are invited into that. And fundamentally, our identity has been changed by taking a knee before the king of kings, Jesus Colossians says in chapter 1, verse 13, He has rescued us. From where? From the kingdom, the dominion of darkness, the basileia of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. New assumptions, new reality, new hope. You see, the kingdom, the reality that that some accept as the only reality, the one where everyone's out for themselves, the one where sin and shame are built in, that is not ours in Christ Jesus. We have been transferred out of that into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of heaven. And today, we're going to wrap up in Colossians by unpacking one verse, Colossians 4.9, one verse that seems innocuous. It seems almost unimportant. It seems as though it's just the end of the letter that Paul is writing, and he's got a lot of personal housekeeping to do with some of his friends, some individuals that live in the city of Colossae. But as we unpack it, I think we see there's much more going on. That if we do our background work, that we're actually getting a glimpse into the way things can be 
and should be in Jesus Christ. So here goes, Colossians 4, verse 9. Simply, Paul says that toward the end of this letter, I am sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that is happening here. That verse, put a pin in that. We'll get back to it in a few moments. Back in 1924, speaking of the reality of this world and the infected nature of our relationships, uh, there's kind of a tragic tale of two brothers. They lived in Germany. They were the Dassler brothers. They were Adolf and Rudolf Dassler. And things started out very promising for them as, as young men. They decided to go into business together. And so they started in their mom's utility room there in Germany a shoe manufacturing company called the Dassler Brothers Shoe Company. Over time, though, their work relationship became strained. And in fact, their relationship as brothers became quite strained as well. The conditions were ripe for World War II. Hitler was coming into power. They were afraid, very afraid, of being sent off to fight. Uh, one brother was suspicious that the other was actually collaborating with the Nazis. And all of this functioned to turn their relationship sour. They parted ways. In fact, they started two competing shoe companies. Rudolf Dassler went off and started a company called Puma, Adolf, nicknamed uh, Addy, started a shoe company called Adidas. Now, you've probably heard of those companies, but no doubt you've also heard of stories like that. It may be brothers or sisters who became estranged, husband, wife, estranged, business partners who could no longer function together. And when culture, when your kingdom revolves around me first, when it is selfish, then betrayal and hostility uh, inevitably will enter into that and will do damage to your relationships. Now, in the verse that I read there, Colossians 4 9 this morning, there is a backstory of betrayal. This is a story of Onesimus, and this letter is being sent to the home of his former employer, Philemon, and we have the story behind that I, that I believe gives us an opportunity to see the gospel in high def. Um, I talked about this story a while back at a men's breakfast, and today I'm excited that we can go a little bit deeper in this story and really talk about it in the context of the Colossians letter that we have been studying. So, based on the details that we have in the New Testament, we know that Philemon uh, would have been a wealthy man and a leader in the church in the city of Colossae. And we can piece together the story of Philemon and his former business associate Onesimus by looking into the story this morning. Philemon was a person of means. We know that because his house was actually headquarters of the Church of Christ there in Colossae. So it was a large home where on Sunday mornings, much like we're gathering today, the church would have gathered, would have broken bread together, and would have kind of considered their, their church home, if you will. So the church met in this guy Philemon's home. He had money. He had a big house. We also know he had money because he was a slave owner, which in that time and that place was a symbol of, of wealth. All right. Now, Paul urges, in the letter we've been reading in Colossians over the past few weeks, Paul urges slave owners, he, or, he urges masters in chapter 4, verse 1, to provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know, 
you have a master in heaven. And when he writes those words, no doubt, he is thinking particularly of Philemon, the one who hosts the church and who was also a master, a slave owner in the city of Colossae. Now, we can really get derailed here. I mean, come on. The one who's hosting the church in his home is a slave owner? What is up with that? And so we can get off on discussions about this evil institution of slavery. It was evil. It is evil. So what's going on? How is this guy hosting the church in his home as a slave owner? But here's the thing. The New Testament is actually, if you pay attention to what's written, the New Testament is actually the opening tremors of a theological and moral earthquake that will destroy the institution of slavery. And while it is the last hammer blow that breaks a rock, that does not mean the first hammer blows are unimportant. And so we have in the New Testament, and particularly in the gospel, these hammer blows that will lead to the destruction of slavery. Now, slavery in the first century quite a bit different from slavery in the United States, probably better in some respects in the first century, but both were bad. Both were moral evils. The question then is, well, why doesn't Paul come along here and just abolish? You know, just this point forward, instantaneously, slavery is over. Why doesn't he do that? I think it would be a little bit like today saying, you know, fossil fuels are bad. Fossil fuels are harming the environment, so... Today, instantly banned, no more fossil fuels. In fact, you're not going to be driving home today. You're going to need to either walk home or ride a bike because we are banning fossil fuels. I mean, they're part of how, they're more than part. Fossil fuels are how this world works today. And maybe someday we'll get to a point where we don't need them. But in the first century, to simply say slavery no more, well, it was woven into the fabric of Roman society. We talked a few weeks ago about how like a third of the population, that was their livelihood, if you will, uh, working as slaves in someone's home or in someone's business. So the gospel is coming along and it begins to hammer away at the foundations of this institution. And, and in the end, we'll see in places like the United States and places like England, when it collapsed, it was preachers of the gospel who were at the forefront of causing that collapse to happen. Anyway, One of Philemon's slaves was a guy named Onesimus. And we get his name here in Colossians chapter 4. Now the letter of Philemon, which Paul wrote to this guy Philemon who hosted the church, the letter of Philemon exists because we could say the business partnership between boss and worker, between slave and master, the business relationship had become very very toxic. Uh, In fact, it's interesting, the name Onesimus literally means useful servant, and Onesimus had become anything but useful uh, to his employer. So useful servant servant was his name uh, in the original language, and he had become useless to his master, to Philemon. So what caused the rift? Why had these two become, let's say, estranged. Well, one fine day there in Colossae, while Philemon and his wife Athia were out of the house, 
Onesimus decided it was his time to become a free man. So he decided to run away, to disappear. And at the same time, he decided to collect some of the valuables in the home, some of Philemon and Aphia's possessions to help him start his new life. So imagine the surprise of Philemon and Aphia when they got home and they saw they had been robbed. Some of their most valuable possessions were gone and it didn't take CSI Colossi to figure out what had happened because guess what else was gone? Onesimus was gone as well. So our servant took off with our stuff. So the runaway slave then traveled to a place where he could get off the grid, which was the largest city in the ancient world, the city of Rome. Great place to just kind of meld into the crowds. Also a place where someone with a little bit of spending money could really have a good time. Lots of diversions and amusements in Rome. And also a place you could kind of relaunch your life. The problem... And you may be like this, or you may know someone like this, or have someone like this in in your family. The problem, Onesimus was not very good with money. He was not a very good money manager, and he ran out of funds at, at some point there in his time in Rome. And as he ran out of money, he also kind of ran out of hope. I mean, what am I going to do now? Well, somebody that he ran into, maybe in the market, maybe in the Colosseum, gave him a piece of advice. Onesimus, there is somebody that I believe could help you. There's this guy named Paul. He's a Roman citizen, uh, lives here in Rome. He's currently under house arrest, okay? But lots of people have had their lives changed by some counsel that Paul has given them. So maybe you ought to go talk to this guy since you're kind of at the end of your rope and see if he can help you figure out a path forward. And so Onesimus said, all right. He went looking for this guy named Paul. Wasn't too hard to find him because he he was stuck in the same place. He was a prisoner, all right, probably in the third floor of a Roman family's home. That's where prisoners in Rome were generally kept in house arrest on the third floor of a Roman family home. Found Paul. They got to know each other and actually struck up a friendship. Probably more than that, given what Paul is going to say about Onesimus later, they had really a spiritual father-son kind of relationship that developed over time. Very, very close uh, in terms of their, their, their friendship, all right? So they begin talking, and they begin striking up this relationship together. And one day, as they were conversing, as they often did, Onesimus began to share some of his background. You know, well, here's my background. I come from the city of Colossae. And Paul was like, I know that city. I've been to that city. I, I have friends in Colossae. Onesimus said, well, when I was there, I used to work... Uh, for a guy named Philemon. And Paul's like, you got to be kidding. I know Philemon. Philemon and I correspond. His wife and I, Aphia, we, I've been to their home many, many times. Um, would you mind, Onesimus, would you mind carrying some correspondence? I've got a letter to the Colossians. Would you mind carrying some correspondence from me to the church there in Philemon's house? At this point, I imagine things got kind of quiet 
a bit of an awkward silence. Well, Paul, you see, I know Philemon as well, and, and we did not part on good terms. In fact, um, I ran away. He was my boss. I just disappeared. He called me Onesimus, his useful servant, and I just took off. I used to be his right-hand man, and then one day I disappeared, and Paul's like, oh. And then Onesimus said, no, no, you know, there's more to the story. I took off with a bunch of his stuff. Now, Onesimus continued, Paul, I know I need to make this right. I believe I need to pay restitution. At the same time, I don't want to be beaten to death. I don't want to be crucified, which were the two most common punishments for a runaway slave in that day and time. And so Paul said, I suspect, well, hang on, Philemon and I are close. We are very good friends. And I believe I can ensure your safety. I am willing to write you a letter, a personal letter of commendation to help smooth things over between you and your former employer. And so I suspect it, a few days, maybe some weeks passed while Onesimus kind of got his affairs in order and Paul finished up the letter that he wanted to send to the church in Colossae. And Onesimus headed back to Colossae. And I kind of imagine him maybe a block away, a couple hundred yards down the street from Philemon's house, pacing back and forth, trying to work up the nerve to walk back into that home that he had run away from. And we know that he did. He walked into that courtyard. And I can almost hear Philemon's voice, You've got a lot of nerve coming back here. And Onesimus is like, hang on. I know Philemon, but you know this guy Paul in Rome, I met him. I've got a letter from him, and and I really want you to read this letter before you say or do anything else. And I kind of imagine as, as the scroll is being passed from Onesimus to Philemon, Philemon's looking inside the house, and he's like, Appia, you you got to get out here. You're not going to believe who's come back. And then as he's kind of unrolling the scroll and they're both kind of glaring at Onesimus, Philemon began, or yeah, Philemon began to read the words on this letter. And perhaps after just a few seconds of glancing at it, he was like, okay, all right. You can have your old job back. We can go back to things as they were. And I kind of imagine Apphia elbowing him and saying, Honey, I think you better read the rest of the letter before you say anything else. And the rest of the letter is truly remarkable. Here we go. Philemon, starting in verse 8. Paul writes to this fellow. He says, I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became 
Onesimus' father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus, and here's a play on his name. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you, useful servant, in the past, but he is now very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I am in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems Onesimus ran away for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now, he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention, I love this line, and I won't mention that you owe me. Yeah, your very soul. I love that. Yes, my brother, please do this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing, please prepare a guest room for me that I, uh, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. <laughs> what a scene must have unfolded as Philemon and Apphia were reading this letter from Paul, you know, Onesimus, he didn't simply escape punishment. He got a promotion, right? I mean, he is now going to be treated as a brother. He's moving from the slave quarters into the family home. He's going to be eating meals around the table with that family of Philemon. And in the other letter, the one we've been studying on Sunday mornings, Colossians, we see this message confirmed, right? Colossians 4.9, Onesimus is our faithful and dear brother. So the gospel, get back to the gospel, get back to this kingdom reality. Gospel means good news. It is, I believe, the most disruptive spiritual force ever unleashed on the planet. The gospel bring salvation to sinners like us. The gospel brings reconciliation to all sorts of relationships. And this is on your outline. The gospel disrupts situations and relationships that look hopeless. Think about it. This one story between two, really three men... This one story embodies what the gospel is. Onesimus and Philemon. First, there was real betrayal. The guy ran away and took a bunch of their stuff with him. And so Paul promises, hey, I'll take care of it. 
I'll pay whatever debt is owed here to make things right between you, Philemon, and you, Onesimus. In the gospel, in the gospel, there's real betrayal. There's real sin. In the gospel, it starts with a debt being owed, and Jesus comes along, and Jesus says, you know what, Father, I'm going to pay the debt in full. They don't owe you anything else. I've paid for it. And so the debt that existed between you and your master, between you and your God, that debt has vanished because of the blood of Jesus. That's not just good news. That's, that's the good news, right? And so write this down on your outline. The gospel, look at what it does. It transforms our hopeless situation before God. It changes us from enemies of God into the people of God. Into sons and daughters who call God our Father, which art in heaven. Colossians chapter 1, Paul talks about this radical change in our relationship status with God because of the gospel. Listen to what he says, Colossians 1, 21 to 22. He says, hey, Colossians, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were runaways. And this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, check this out. As a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Remember those brothers, Rudolph and Adolf Dassler. It's a story infected by betrayal. And on the other side of that betrayal, there is hostility. They live as enemies, separate. Philemon and Onesimus, it's a story that involves betrayal, a wrong that has been done. And on the other side of the gospel, they become brothers. Not separated, walking together, following the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel took the most unequal, the most unfair, the most unjust relationship, that of slave and master, and the gospel transformed that into a brotherhood. The power of the gospel is incredible, folks. When we came to accept Jesus, we were forgiven. We were accepted. We were loved. We were welcomed around the Father's table as His children. Because of the gospel, we are now brothers of, and sisters of Jesus. 
and we are now brothers and sisters of each other. This morning, you can wear the gospel story as your story. You can accept the reality of this kingdom that has come in Jesus Christ. You can say no to the the assumptions of hopelessness and sin and the spirals of hostility of this world, and you can step into the kingdom of the Son of God, where you stand before the presence of God, holy and blameless and without a single fault. That's what the gospel does for you. And you can accept that as your story. You can take a knee and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this morning you just need prayers. And we would encourage you as we do here at this church to find someone around you and pray about whatever it is that's on your heart or whoever it is that's on your heart. However you need to respond, do that as we stand together and we worship.